You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Life Tree Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us today. My name is Pastor Dre, and I'm really excited that you're here. And I'm really excited to just share a message uh, with you that's been on my heart for a couple weeks. And so I hope that it'll be encouragement uh, to you today. And I want to kind of jump right in. And this message today that I'm preaching about, the title of this is Lead with Love. And I'm going to explain that in just a few moments, what that exactly means, and, and maybe the challenge that's set before us this morning. But I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 8, and I think this will frame kind of where we're going today. And these are probably passages and scriptures that are familiar with you. It's known as the love chapter. And as we're talking today about leading with love, I want us to be reminded of what the kingdom definition of love is, especially right now in the culture that we're in in 2020. So let's read those together. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. I want to pray today, and again, when we're talking today about what it is to lead our lives with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time that we have here together. I pray in these next few moments that you would speak to us. Uh, we declare that our spiritual ears and our hearts are open to you today. I pray that you would give us courage to just respond to your word and your value system of love in ways that we never have before. Give us courage today to make changes or make adjustments or just keep doing what you've called us to do. In your name we pray. Come on, everybody set at home. Amen. Well, I grew up in a town called Youngstown, Ohio, and you guys who know me know that I love to share about this town a lot because I love being from there. It really has shaped who I am, and so I'm kind of proud of it. But it's a unique town, and one of the things that makes it unique is that it sits halfway in between uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And because of its location, uh, it has bred a unbelievable rivalry for professional football. Uh, where I'm from in Youngstown, Ohio, the town is literally split down the, you know, down the way or halfway. Uh, whether you like uh, the Cleveland Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers, no matter what team uh, that you like, you're going to hate the other team and its fans. Um, so thankfully, a uh, shout out to my father, Chuck Mowerman, who uh, was a Browns fan and, and allowed me to be born as a Browns fan and not a Steelers fan. Uh, one of the many reasons that he is my hero. And so when Carrie and I were first dating, I was trying to uh, just explain to her some of the unique rivalry that is located in my hometown. And Carrie's a sports fan, so she gets rivalry. She's an Eagles fan. She understands, you know, Eagles and Giants. But I was trying to explain to her it's a little bit 
different. It's a little bit more intense. Like my family is split right down the middle. That's what I was trying to say earlier. It's split right down the middle. And I have uncles and cousins who love the Steelers and my dad and, and my other uncle, we, we love the Browns. And so our family get togethers were wild. We would be trash talking just for hours about our teams. And so I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. So I was trying to tell Carrie this, and I think she was kind of rolling her eyes about uh, whether or not this was, you know, as passionate or as accurate as I described. Uh, one of the first times I brought her home to meet my family, we went out to go shopping, and we were in a store. I think we were in a Target or a Walmart, and we were looking at some Cleveland Browns apparel. And as we were looking, a guy walked by, and because he was a Steelers fan, he was dressed head to toe in Steelers gear, hats, jacket, shirt, pants, who knows what else he was wearing that was Steelers. And we kind of locked eyes, and he looked at me, and he, he said to me from in the aisle, hey, man, Cleveland sucks. You're looking at the wrong stuff. The good stuff is over there. And, of course, he pointed uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, section. And without missing a beat, I said, I'm really proud of what I just said to him, but I'm going to tell you. I said, nah, man, I'm good. I don't like picking through the garbage. So there was a, a little bit of an awkward pause between us as we stared at each other. And then we nodded at each other and laughed, and he, he went on his way. Uh, we kind of enjoyed the, the banter there. And as I turned to Carrie, I think her words were, okay, I get it now. It's a, a silly story, but it's also a small snapshot of the culture I think that we're living in today. You see, in my home, I was raised to dislike all things Steelers. It gave me a sense, at least from a sports uh, context, who is worthy and who is not. And believe me, I've made a lot of judgments based on if you are a Steelers fan. And for whatever reason, God throughout my whole life has given me some of my some of my best friends are Steelers fans. So shout out to Pastor Kevin and, and Craig who might be watching right now. But think about this on a much broader scale with much more important consequences. We're living in a culture that is constantly trying to tell us who our enemies are and why they present a threat to us. Not the NFL, but actually people. Think about the last five to six months that we've been living in. I can't think of a time in my life that I've seen so many issues that, have been, that are being polarized right now. Think about it. We can name them, right, from, from COVID uh, to politics to schools, whether they're opening or closing, restaurants, our governor, masks, protests, on and on. We could just keep naming them. And obviously, this polarization is aided uh, because of a 24-hour news cycle that is generating income for, for both agendas, both sides of the aisle. And if we pick up our phone or we turn on a TV, it's so easy to see that things are not being presented. The information is not being presented to us with any kind of nuance or any kind of fairness, but it's only being presented to us in a way that causes us to actually want to take sides. And so I've come to this conclusion. I believe that the culture we're living in, partnering with the enemy of our soul, Satan, is on a mission to divide us. John Tyson, who is an unbelievable, uh, excellent pastor in New York City, he wrote a great book recently called Beautiful Resistance. And some of the thoughts that I'm sharing with you today are from this book. And he, he says the following, hate is being cultivated one social media post at a time. 
Each 15-second soundbite or meme is training us to release hate on our enemies. The trickle effect over time poisons our hearts, allowing contempt and bitterness to seep in and, train, and trains us to misidentify our enemies. So here's the question I've really been asking myself and asking God and, and wrestling with in prayer in this unique season of history that we find ourselves in right now in August of 2020. What is my response as a Christian to all of this? And and are am I or are we responding the way that we're supposed to be? Or are we just adding to the spirit of division? It's been a really convicting conversation I've been having with God. It's been interesting for me to listen to some of the rhetoric that is being thrown around, especially in church circles. I don't think I've heard... Um, more people talk than ever in my life than I am right now about terms like Antichrist or Jesus coming back and the world going to hell in a handbasket. I've never heard it more than I'm hearing it now. And I get it. I absolutely get it why people would go there. But yet I'm seeing an unbelievable opportunity for us to share the love of God with others right now in this season. Because people are looking for love. People are looking for something that's pure like God's love. And here's the wild thing. Part of the mystery of God is that he chooses our lives. He chooses to partner with us to help spread his love or the gospel, the good news, into the earth. He uses our lives and our platforms and our influence. He doesn't have to, but it's what he does. I think there's unbelievable opportunity to see people that we love and maybe even people that we don't know come to know Christ in this season more than ever before. God partners with us for his will to be done and his purposes and plans to be fulfilled in this earth. Unbelievable. And so here's the thing, as I've been praying, uh, the answer that I feel like I'm, I'm hearing from God in that whisper kind of sense, and we understand that, that verbiage, whisper, in our community here. I feel like the Holy Spirit has been whispering this to me. Dre, in the midst of these situations, make sure that you're leading with love. And not leading because I'm a leader in the church, but leading, like going first in everything in my life with love. Because here's the reality. We all lead with something in our lives, don't we? Uh, for me, I, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Hispanic. I'm a communicator. And so I love to lead almost more than anything else. I love to lead with my opinion all the time. I think I know it all sometimes. I don't. I know that I don't. But I like to think of whether it's basketball or politics or whatever else is going on. I have an opinion about it. The temptation for me is to lead with my expert opinion into situations more than anything else. But I think maybe you can relate to that too. Uh, what are we leading with? In our conversations, our thoughts, our decisions, our social media posts, are we leading with love because that is the value of the kingdom of God? Are we leading with our opinions? Are we leading with our politics? Are we leading with our concerns, our fears, our conspiracies, our outrage? Are we leading with our entitlement or our agitation or our American values? And that's the tension maybe that I, I sense and maybe you sense too that as a Christian some of those things are okay and they're not wrong but we're called to live out of the value system of the kingdom of God 
before anything else. And love is the highest value system in God's kingdom. So this is what I want to talk to you about for the next 10 minutes or so. How do we as Christians right now in 2020, August 2020, how do we lead from a place of love? How do we do it in our conversations, in our thought processes, our decision-making, our social media posts? How do we lead with love? There's three things I want to just point out, things that, again, this is a message that I feel like God is convicting me on, and so I'm just kind of just sharing maybe some of the things that God is doing in my life. But there are three things I want to share. They all start with R, and the first thing is to lead with love. We have to redefine what love is. And I'm so thankful today that we don't have to do a lot of hard work for that because Jesus has already done that for us. But if we're honest, our culture really waters down the words and definitions of love and hate. Both of those words are kind of thrown around too easy. We love a lot of things. And if you've been around any kind of a younger generation, you know that everybody has haters. We love to throw those words around. And here's what culture really teaches us, that whatever we love defines what we hate. And whatever we hate informs what we love. But is that really how it's supposed to be for us who call ourselves Christians? Or is love bigger than that? So the scriptures we read in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uses a term in the Greek language. You might have heard of it for love. He uses a definition that is called agape love. And that agape love became a marking uh, identification for the early church and really it should be our identification of what love is too. And agape uh, carries the idea of a self-sacrificial kind of love. It's a deep love. It's a costly love. It's the love that God shows us when Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus speaks of this kind of love so often in the Gospels. And maybe none more important than his Sermon on the Mount. I want to read a couple of verses for you. Again, uh, part of what we need to do is redefine our definition of love if we're going to be able to lead with love. Matthew 5, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Unbelievable. And to really understand how radical uh, that statement is when Jesus is saying that to the Jewish community, you need some context because Jesus is talking to a group of people that have spent so many years oppressed. For 500 years, they were under oppression. They had a couple years of freedom, and then the Roman Empire came in and oppressed the Jewish community again. And it was really hard for them. The Jews were longing for freedom. And then along comes Jesus, and because they were scholars and knew the prophecies of of the religion, they're looking uh, for someone who would come and sit on the throne of David, and they were uh, interpreting that through the context of oppression. And believing that here was this Jesus who, who came along and he looked, he fit the bill. He was, he was uh, performing miracles and he was casting out demons and he was teaching unbelievable things. And they thought that he was coming to call them to a violent revolution. But when the more that they heard him, he was actually calling them to a love revolution, to love their enemies. They were really confused when he was saying these things. Because to them, in, their, in Leviticus chapter 19, there was a, a verse there, a law that they understood. And the rabbis of the day would interpret it this way. It was love your neighbor, as we read. And they would teach that to love your neighbor meant to love your Jewish neighbor. Love the person who looks exactly like you and acts like you and has your value system. 
love them. And everybody else is not worthy of your love. But Jesus came along and said, not only are you supposed to love the people that think like you and act like you, but you that's over here, the neighbors, but you're also supposed to love your enemies. Jesus redefined what love is. We have to redefine what love is, especially in the context of our culture today. John Tyson, again, in his book, he says, Jesus did the impossible and recategorized enemies as neighbors, enlarging the tent of welcome so that all could fit, and scandalized the leaders of his day by talking about a kingdom that was established not by military conquest, but by overcoming hatred with love. Jesus redefined love. He made it much broader and deeper than anything they'd ever heard. And that was, the, that was what marked the early church. In fact, this command to love your enemies was the most celebrated command the first 300 years of the early church in the New Testament. And why? Because God modeled it for us. The Bible tells us that he loved us first. He loved us when we were his enemies, but he loved us first. He models it for us, and he calls us to do it. If we want to lead by love, we have to redefine our definition of love. The second thing today is to lead with love, we have to be able to receive love. And not just any love, but God's love. Our ability to love the way that God has called us to love others is directly tied to whether whether we know how much God loves us. A person that really has a revelation of God's value for them, that considers themselves valuable enough, in God's eyes, will love generously. But if we struggle with that, if it's hard for us, we won't really lead with love. We'll lead with a lot of other things. And oftentimes, we will lead with hurt because of some of the experiences that we experience here on the earth. God has given us access through the cross to the Father's grace and his forgiveness to an eternity in heaven. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. If we want to lead with love, we have to be able to know that we are worth loving. We are valuable to God. He was willing to give up his son for us because he loves us that much. It's hard for us to share good news, which is what the gospel means, if we don't believe it's for ourselves first. And this is my story. I was a kid who grew up in church and grew, grew up around church, but it wasn't until I was around 15 or 16 that I experienced the revelation and the understanding that God loved me. He didn't just love my parents and my pastors, but he actually loved me. And if this is something you struggle with, we, you can't stay stuck in that for whatever reason. Let's pray together. I, call, on a, call on one of us pastors to, to talk with you about it. Talk through a call on a friend who's a Christian to help you process through some of it. Maybe you have, need to go see a Christian counselor. Whatever it is, don't stay stuck there. You are valuable. You are a son and daughter of God. Your ability to lead with love is tied to whether you can receive God's love for yourself. I want to say this to you. We are loved. God is not angry with us because of Jesus. He has a plan and a purpose for our life that comes from a place of love. Okay, the last R that I want to share with you today, number three, to lead with love, we have to be rooted in love. If you're part of our Life Tree family, you are very familiar with our verbiage and our mission to help you. We want to help you grow from root to, say it at home, fruit, from root to fruit. And the fruit in your life is determined by what soil you plant yourself in. Ephesians 3.17 says this, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Come on, everybody, wherever you are, say trust. As you trust in him. 
Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. If we are rooted in God's love, things like grace and forgiveness and mercy become a part of our lives and become so easily accessible to those that we come in contact with. In a culture that is thriving in the fruit of division, we have an opportunity to offer so much more. Instead of division, we can offer people grace and forgiveness. We had a friend who was a farmer in Tennessee, and he literally lived around the corner from us, and he would call us on a random Sunday afternoon and say, hey, I've got a strawberry patch that needs some picking. Will you bring those kids over to help me get the job done? And it was like the best hour that we could spend with our kids. It created so many good memories. And we'd bring those uh, little kids over, and they would have these little buckets, and there they would be uh, picking whatever patch he had grown. And, and listen, he had done all the hard work. He had planted, he had cultivated it, he had watered it, he had weeded it. And yet there we were, a bunch of city kids who knew nothing about farming, getting to reap the benefits, getting to literally taste the fruit of his labor. And it was awesome. We would take that home, we'd make desserts, and we'd make smoothies, and it was awesome. And I think, as I was reminded of that today, as I was, uh, this week as I was preparing for this, I think that's a picture of us as Christians. When we choose to root ourselves in the right soil, it produces a fruit that can feed those that are famished around us. Those who don't even know how to cultivate grace or forgiveness or mercy, but because they encounter you, someone who has chosen to lead with love, they get to taste and see just how good God is. And in closing, I want to go back to the passage today before we leave our time here. 1 Corinthians 13, and I'd like to read it to you again uh, before we pray. I'm going to read it to you from a literal Greek translation of that text. And it just kind of brings the definitions of love a little bit alive. And I hope you'll enjoy it as we close here. Love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed. Love doesn't demand others to be like itself. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others that it bends over backwards to become what others needed to be. Love is not ambitious, self-centered, or so consumed with itself that it never thinks of the needs or desires that others possess. Love doesn't go around talking about itself all the time constantly exaggerating and embellishing the facts to make it look more important in the sight of others. Love does not behave in a prideful, arrogant, haughty, superior, snooty, snobbish, or clannish manner. Love is not rude and discourteous. It is not careless or thoughtless, nor does it carry on in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to others. Love does not manipulate situations or scheme and devise methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. Love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp they cause an ugly or violent response. Love does not deliberately keep records of wrongs or past mistakes. Love does not feel overjoyed when it sees an injustice done to someone else, but it is elated, thrilled, ecstatic, and overjoyed with the truth. Love protects, it shields, it guards, it covers, it conceals, and it safeguards people from exposure. Love always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. Love never quits, it never surrenders, 
and it never gives up. Love never disappoints. It never fails. And it never lets anyone down. Again, in a culture that is feeding into the plan of the enemy of our soul to divide us, let us be a Christian representation. Let us be the ambassadors of Christ to lead in love. In every conversation, in every interaction, in every social media post, every decision that we make in this season, let's lead with love. And let's love to the extreme edges that Jesus calls us to, from those who share our values to those who might actually hate us. And let's see what God wants to do. I believe that he wants to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth in this season of history that we're in. I believe that one of the great privileges we will have is that we will get to partner with God to see that happen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for how you love us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for how you redefine love. Thank you for how you give us love. And thank you for what you're teaching us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us all in this season, right where we are right now, August 2020, to be rooted in love more than ever before. I pray that you'd give us opportunities to share the fruit that comes out of love. Help us to be people that will give away grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I pray that we will see our friends our neighbors, our classmates, our family, and even those that we don't know or those that might even hate us, come to know you because you are helping us lead with love. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I hope and pray that you have an awesome, awesome week. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, Or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.